Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. I'm John Zipper, your host for Week to Week. And until a week ago, I was also a professional Chinese balloon pilot. Um, They didn't tell me it was going to get dangerous, so I, I, I quit that right away. Um, But it's great to see you all here tonight. Thank you to everyone who's also watching and listening online. Tonight, we're going to take a look at some of the big changes and races that are facing the country and California, as well as this little unimportant thing called the future of cities. Let's meet our panelists for tonight. On the other end of the stage is Dr. Larry Gersten. He's a, excuse me, a political science professor emeritus at San Jose State University, political analyst at NBC Bay Area, and the author of the forthcoming book, Trumpism, Racism, and the Decline of American Democracy. We'll see. <laughs> In the middle here is Carla Marinucci, veteran political journalist, formerly of Politico and the San Francisco Chronicle. You can follow her very lively Twitter feed at C. Marinucci. Welcome back. Now on to our roundtable. This morning, the big news finally came. Senator Dianne Feinstein announced she will not seek re-election <laughs> we kind of were expecting this would happen. Uh, this brings to an end a very storied career in the politics of San Francisco, California, and the nation. I kind of want to start there before we talk about the race to come. Um, maybe Larry first. Just tell us a bit about her career and what it's meant. I mean, what have been the milestones? Well, first of all, John, I'm shocked that she's not running. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of us knew that was happening, and uh, you know, we begin to kind of close that chapter. This is a very interesting person who, unfortunately, in the last couple of years has has been done in a little bit because of her age and inabilities to do as much as she might have done in the past. Look, you're talking about a person that was elected to the Board of Supervisors in 1969, becomes president of the board on the unfortunate, and some of you probably remember this, I sure do, the assassination of George Moscone and how she winds up being mayor and then ultimately gets elected when Pete Wilson... Uh, leaves his seat to become uh, a governor in a special election in, in office, I think, what, since 1992 or something like that? I think that is. And uh, I mean, really, she had this stellar career, and I think too many of us tend to forget about that. And let's, of course, remember perhaps the most important piece of legislation I think she's done, and that was the assault weapons ban in 1994. It had a 10-year uh, sunset provision, and unfortunately, Congress did not extend it. But this was in its day, way ahead of its time, and it only got there because of Diane Feinstein. And I, I just think that in, in a moment when we're, when some people at least are saying, you know, all right, already, you know, these are the things that we want to remember. She was a trendsetter, uh, not only in terms of policy but also for women. Yes. And uh, you know, she and Barbara Boxer were quite the tag team. I mean, a trailblazer, a trailblazer, uh, first female president of the Board of Supervisors, first female mayor of San Francisco, first female California U.S. senator, uh, first to chair the Senate Rules Committee, uh, Senate Intelligence, first to preside over a, a presidential inauguration. Uh, Feinstein has been a, a trailblazer every way, and she's got a legacy um, aside from the assault weapons ban, the whole issue of releasing documentation with regard to the CIA and intelligence, because she got a lot of pushback from the intelligence community, uh, Desert Protection Act. Uh, you know, you can go down the list. Uh, and, and formidable in her time. I think, she, as you said, Larry, she's gotten a lot of heat recently for 
not pulling out, not resigning, uh, um, not retiring. Uh, she's the oldest member of the U.S. Senate and the longest-running female senator right now. Uh, but, boy, I remember in her time, uh, you, as a reporter, you better be prepared if you were going to talk to Diane Feinstein. She, she was would, tough. She was tough. <laughs> She'd come into the Chronicle, I remember, in those editorial board meetings, uh, and she would have her staff there and, you know, her cause that she was going to be talking about. And if you didn't have your questions prepared, and I remember her, you know, sitting there and uh, saying, um, you know, that, that the answer to that is on page uh, 87, that's section C. She knew her stuff backwards and forwards. In her day, um, she was, uh, um, you know, somebody to be reckoned with. And I think, you know, we've got to remember that as we go into it. I think now we're going to see uh, the contest of all contests to fill that seat, don't you think? Before we get into that, I mean, yeah. I, I recall reading something she... So after the very heated primary between Bill, uh, excuse me, between Hillary Clinton and uh, Barack Obama, she apparently brought them together. I think it was at her home in in, in uh, Georgetown or whatever, and kind of played that behind the scenes role of, you know, okay, look, we're all on the same mm -hmm. side here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, what what does that meant to have that kind of? In other words, there are a lot of people in politics who are showboats. It's about me. It's about blah blah blah. I want to get on, you know, the news tonight. Um, yeah, Feinstein has never, has never played that game. Yeah. And, you know, that cost her. Remember the last time she ran, um, she, she faced a challenge from Kevin DeLeon. Her own party, uh, the, the mm -hmm. grassroots of her party, did not endorse her uh, for that race. Uh, so, yeah, she, she was willing to put up, uh, you know, for, for her principles, even though a lot of times... Uh, she, she was much more centrist than many of the grassroots uh, Democratic activists. Yeah, but Carla, don't you think some of it had to do with her almost taking it for granted that she wasn't going to really work that hard to get it, either you're going to give it to me because you know who I am or <laughs> whatever? I mean, I think there was some of that at that point in her, in her, uh, in her um, uh, long career. Um, and none of that's to take away from her. Yeah. None of that. And, and I, do, I do believe, I agree with you that, you know, Young, which to me is anybody under ninety now. Uh, uh, young, young people, uh, I, I think, don't quite grasp the the roles that she had, the sensitivity she had, the leadership she had, as you said, the trailblazer she had. Okay, period. A person's time goes, and maybe, maybe for some people, she stayed too long. Yeah. But you don't want to take away those forty years or so before. No, and you know. Let's remember the year of the woman when she was elected with Barbara Boxer. Yeah. That was a year in which people said there is no way that two women, two Jewish women, are <laughs> going to be elected uh, senators in California. It, I mean, it, let's remember, that, was an, that was an accomplishment. Uh, and her career all the way along has had those kind of markers to it. Yeah. Um, did she fall out of, because I'm wondering if some of this, the, you know, the, the, that kind of caucus base not supporting her yeah. the last time, I mean, the the certainly the younger part of the Democratic Party seems to have moved left. Yes. And she did not. Yes. So, I mean, isn't that likely maybe the bigger uh, disconnect there and, and reason for lack of support? But I also think I also think the age uh, issue is and we're seeing that in other races as well. Joe Biden is facing the same questions. Um, I, I you know, there's a lot of calls within the party and Republican Party, too, for a new generation of leadership. Uh, and we've talked about this before, John, the fact that there is a gerontocracy here in California when you talk about uh, Congress. Um, you, get, 
I'm sorry, yeah. step you get the sense that we're yeah. almost going to skip a generation, go to second generation, <laughs> you know, get people in their 50s and 60s, you're talking to maybe two generations down. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, mm-hmm. the, you know, you look at Steny Hoyer, um, all these other guys with Nancy Pelosi, I mean, they've managed to their credit, to their credit, and I mean that, to do incredible work uh, holding mm-hmm. their party together. But at the same time, suddenly one day someone says, oh my goodness, wow, you're still here? Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're, we're at that point. We're at that, at that tipping point where we're looking now to see people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. I think you're right. You're starting, you're starting to see um, some decisions. Jackie Spear, for instance, retiring. Um, obviously, Boxer did a couple of years back. Uh, Pelosi uh, stepping down from the speakership. She's still in the office, but we're wondering what's going to happen What's her decision? Oh, going? come on. We have to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> how long do you, I mean, she hasn't said anything, but I mean, how long do you think she'll stay in and why do you think she's stayed in after being speaker? Uh, what I've heard some people in, in democratic politics suggest is that it's not going to be too long before she uh, announces a retirement. Uh, I haven't any direct contact with her on this one, uh, but there is sort of some buzz about that. Uh, and what to watch is, as soon as she makes that decision, uh, and I've heard this said, she has a Rolodex or, you know, whatever, a, a contact list now. Um, she can hit the phones the next day and start raising money for her daughter, Christine, whoever, uh, if she announces a retirement. You and, can stop at that. Yeah. Forget whoever. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my last question for you, Larry. Who do, yeah. who do you think would come next? Is, is Christine interested? Sure. Yeah. I think this is it. And I mean, Nancy and I haven't talked lately. <laughs> in fact, not in 30 years. <laughs> but, but I mean, uh, I think so. I mean, uh, I think it's, it's pretty clear. It, it makes a lot of sense uh, if you're in San Francisco. I mean, this is a, you know, this is a big name here. And, uh, and, and, and her daughter, it's not as if her daughter's an unknown. Um, and I, I think that it, running in a special election only adds to the likelihood of her name and success. I think it's very clever. I've I've said it to some people for a long time now. This is in the plan. And, you know, once again, I'll probably be wrong. You know, I I I do think, though, uh, you could probably expect Scott Wiener uh, to be in that mix. Uh, He's an extremely active legislator, somebody who uh, is very well known in San Francisco. And that could also be a a knockdown drag out fight when when and if it happens soon. Interesting stuff coming down the pike. Yeah. Um, well, let's get back then to the Feinstein seat. Some of the candidates uh, have been talked about. Some have said they might be interested in running. And uh, Adam Schiff has already announced. Adam right? Schiff has announced, SSK. you know, 62 years old. Already Pelosi has backed him. I'm going to be interested. And in, I would I would bet that Feinstein will back him, too. They were have been very close. I've been to many Democratic conventions where he is at her side you know, helping her, introducing her. He's been there for her. Um, you know, obviously he led the impeachment uh, uh, against Donald Trump. He was on the January 6th committee. The, his role on the Intelligence Committee has put him in front of millions of Americans every day and has made him a target of the Republicans and Kevin McCarthy. Uh, he's more of a centrist than Katie Porter, uh, who's the other, uh, you know, big lead in this one? She, she's only 49 years old, um, and Katie Porter has a, a ton of 
uh, fans out there. She's a prolific fundraiser, but so is Adam Schiff. He's got $22 million in the bank as of last November. And that's from previous campaigns? Or yeah, new- yeah, and, and, it's, and just his fundraising acumen. People know this guy, and, you know, he, he can travel around the country and raise big bucks. So um, when you're talking about a race between those two, that's going to be fascinating enough. I mean, Katie Porter's got a more liberal um, constituency, more liberal fan group, um, and she was the first to announce, and she's got Elizabeth Warren uh, on her side. Uh, she's a she's a protege of Elizabeth Warren. So this is going to be a, a really interesting uh, race, and then we might have Barbara Lee get into it. Barbara Lee's been hinting very strongly that she wants to get into it. I know that some people have uh, suggested to her that that would be a mistake. Uh, she's 76 years old. But on the other hand, Barbara Lee is another icon uh, to the to uh, liberal grassroots Democrats um, because of her vote uh, against uh, you know in, in the Afga- in Afghanistan getting into Afghanistan being the sole vote. The question is, would Barbara Lee and Katie Porter split that liberal vote? Um, you know, and a lot of women would like to see another woman, um, you know, succeed Feinstein. And for the, in that respect, Adam Schiff has a little bit of a challenge being a white guy coming into this. But the fact is, uh, he is well known around the country and has uh, could have Feinstein's backing on this. Uh, with Pelosi already, that's pretty strong. He's considered the lead in, in, the, in that uh, field right now. Larry, what do you think of the field? I feel very lonely being the only white guy. <laughs> um, getting tougher and tougher for my guys. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, uh, Katie Porter's a force, and I think it's easy to underestimate her. I, I, she had uh, $20 million plus. She had to spend a lot of it to get reelected. It was a tough race. Her district changed. Uh, I see this going the distance. We have the top two uh, primary uh, race here, yeah. California. She's, she has something to, 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 to she has some, some impediments. Nonetheless, Let's remember that the progressives in the Democratic Party are getting louder and louder all the time. I believe she has every possibility, here's my scenario, of actually edging uh, him in the primary, okay, Adam Schiff. But I think at the end of the day, he's the favorite to win. Because where are the Republicans going to go, right? Where are they going to go? They're going to go for that socialist who's trying to undermine capitalism, you know? They'll go to Schiff. So at the end of the day, it's his. But I think she's going to make it tough for him. And there could be um, a couple more entries, too. Uh, Ro Khanna, who's the congressman from the Silicon Valley, um, Indian-American, and another progressive voice has talked about getting into. We may see some others by the time this is... Uh, uh, yeah, um, Ro Khanna could. Um, he's a smart guy. Very and, yeah. And... and I think he knows where the bread is buttered in this deal. Um, and I'm not so sure that he's ready to jump in and give up, give up that seat. But you mentioned something. There is somebody from the outside who could come in at the last minute. And the one that I keep thinking about is Sheryl Sandberg. Ah, now that, that's interesting. But when you talk about where uh, Meta or the company Facebook is right now, uh, and her role in that, she's no longer there. But Long gone from yeah, that, Carla. Yeah, yeah, but but 
her whole tech, you know, there was a time five or six years ago when we were talking about her maybe running for president or whatever. That whole tech thing has collapsed. Uh, yes, you know, but you talked about it. Yeah. A woman. Yes. Right? Yes. She has women. Lean in. She is extraordinarily popular. You know, people relate to her. She's got money up the wazoo and down the wazoo. That is true. Um, <laughs> she is a person, you know, and I'm... I, th- I don't know anything, but I'm just suggesting that there could be somebody like that. Yeah, I think you're right, Larry. I think uh, you. I think we can't rule out some kind of celebrity candidate or some kind of tech uh, yeah. or uh, wealthy self-funded candidate. Some people even mentioned Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, here and there. But uh, he'll be back. <laughs> Let's stay on that. Not Arnold necessarily, but Republican possibilities. Um, is there any <laughs> chatter out there? And could Lan Hee Chen throw his hat in the ring? You know, it's interesting you mentioned Lan Hee Chen because I think he, I mean, he is a super smart guy. He ran for controller. Uh, anyone with an R after their name in California has a real challenge here. But a moderate Republican, one who was appointed by President Obama to the Social Security Commission and also had uh, a role as an advisor to the Mitt Romney campaign, uh, but somebody who at Stanford has had just had an incredible uh, career. Uh, if somebody like that couldn't get elected controller in California, you kind of wonder. But on the other hand, he's a he's a moderate Republican and he's uh, a never Trumper Republican. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know maybe that's a this could be a test depending on how the national picture and and the picture here in California goes. Uh, there, there, there is a shift going on. There, there may be an opening for someone on the independent side, somebody we don't, we're not even thinking about, or some Hollywood star to come in. Uh, who knows? You know, this is not the first time this has happened in California. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're right. Tom Hanks, maybe. Lonnie <laughs> is terrific. Lonnie is terrific. He's everything a lot of people want out of a Republican. Um, he and um, Kevin. Um, What's his last name? San Diego, the mayor, the former. Oh, Kevin Faulkner. Kevin Faulkner. Right, yeah. Right. These guys are fabulous if you're looking for moderate Republicans. The problem is, you know, they may be the only two moderate Republicans around. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and, um, sad as it might be for a lot of people, this is not a two-party state. Democrats outnumber Republicans two to one. It's incredible. Right. And, you know, they'll put somebody up. But uh, I shouldn't say they, they. The Republicans don't put any. People will rise. And some Republican will win the nomination, but it's tough right now. And I and I'm a big believer in two parties, so for me this is kind of hard mm-hmm. uh, to to watch all this. But mm-hmm. that's the way it is, yeah. folks. Yeah. One of our audience members says many influential boomers suggest leaving it to Gen X and millennials to fix our government and politics. Isn't this an abdication of responsibility? Indict the boomers. Yeah. Well, let me, let me just say this. I mean, you know, uh, folks under thirty. Uh, have a terrible reputation, well-deserved, uh, for not voting. For oh. not voting. I mean, they don't. You know, except this last election. This last election, they outperformed more than anybody else. And, you know, as a guy who's been there, done that, and now looking down, uh, I, I, I'm really heartened by that. I'm really heartened that these folks have seen it in their interest, their self-interest, to finally get it together. And I'm hopeful that their numbers will continue to grow. The rest of us have to do our part. But it's nice to see folks who traditionally don't vote 
participating the way they did in 2022. Okay. Well, while we're on state politicians, uh, Carla, you wanted to talk about Gavin Newsom's feuding with uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Oh, yeah. I I think this is fascinating. And in fact, I highly recommend... Uh, Newsom did an interview this week that came out with David Axelrod on Axelrod's podcast called The Axe Files. And he just like blisters uh, DeSantis. And I I think there's a strategy there. Um, it's a fascinating interview for many reasons. He talks about his uh, first marriage with Kimberly Guilfoyle, for one. <laughs> like, <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> but um, the fact is, he he is aiming for DeSantis in a very big way, and I think part of the strategy is Democrats are worried. Um, it, you know, Trump is one issue, but should DeSantis come up against Biden? They're a little worried. DeSantis, 44 years old. Um, you know, t- Trump may try and call him Meatball Ron, but but the fact is— He's looking like somebody who um, knows how to get his message out there, is smarter about it than Trump. Um, knows and, how government works. Yes, knows how government works and uses that bully pulpit every day as Gavin Newsom does. Uh, Newsom is uh, clearly, in my view, trying to undermine DeSantis in every way possible, t- pointing out. Um, he, he called him a bully, says that, look— what what is it about Republicans and DeSantis? They're continually talking about trans rights and and issues related to uh, you know um, uh, uh, sex change, etc. And, and Newsom says in this interview, yeah, that's that's an important topic, but that's not what we as Democrats that's that's not on the A list of what we do every day. Um, this is this is a sort of a, a minor issue, and yet the Republicans are pounding it every day on Fox News. They're, that's that is all they're talking about. And he, and he went right after DeSantis on that and said, Democrats have got to get their stuff together and address this and not play defense on this issue. Um, that's to start talking about the economy, to start talking about the the things that Biden has done. He says that DeSantis is um, kind of the poster child for everything that is wrong with the Republican Party right now. And the, I think the interview, uh, which really hasn't gotten a lot of coverage, but I think it, it really reveals uh, what is going on in the Democratic Party right now uh, in that Democrats are looking ahead at 2024, and people like Newsom are saying, if we don't knock down DeSantis now, uh, he may end up being our worst nightmare. Larry, I think a lot of people, when they've seen the the DeSantis-Newsom uh, feuding, have suggested that, oh, well, Newsom's laying the groundwork for his presidential run. Um, from what Carla's saying, it, it would be more like, He's playing a party role here in trying to, uh, if you will, damage a, a candidate who might be really strong against whoever the Democratic candidate is, presumably President Biden. What do you think? Well, there are two, there are two issues here. One is DeSantis. One is Newsom, right? DeSantis, I think, is a force. He, is, he makes Trump look like, you know, a, a kid in the sandlots. I mean... He is so much more sophisticated, so much more knowledgeable, so much more aware, aware of the constituents. He knows what buttons to push and how far and how long. I think he is someone who really is going to go far. He's 44 years old, 45. I mean, give me a break. This guy is, has a bright future. He knows how to tap in 
to all the anxieties uh, that Republicans, especially white Republicans who don't like to see the numbers changing and what's happening to my life, my future. He knows how to tap into that beautifully. I, he's something. Uh, I, I see him running circles around Trump. Uh, Newsom, okay, is a great foil. I'll give him that, okay? Let's remember, last I heard, Newsom comes from California. Well, you know, I have to say this, you know, anything west of the Sierras doesn't work with normal people, okay? <laughs> and, and that's how they consider us abnormal. Washington? Really? Think, think about it. Oregon, California, Hawaii? I mean, we're not quite with it. And uh, so Newsom can do a good job in terms of, you know, pointing out some of the issues regarding DeSantis. Okay, that's fine. It's a nice story. But at the end of the day, DeSantis is going to do with Newsom the same thing he's doing with Trump, going right past him, ignoring him, you know. And, 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 and I really believe for the Democrats... The nominee post-Biden, whether it's in 24 or 28, is going to be somebody probably from the Midwest or the South. The East won't work any more than the West. Somewhere, and there are people, there are names out there, but most of us don't know them. Uh, Some of us do. But those are the people. Newsom will not be among those names. That's good. But I just, listen, I just got to wonder on DeSantis. Uh, whether pushing these culture wars issues, this woke politics stuff, um, you know, talking, I mean, you've got a situation right now in Florida where the, the school libraries are empty and you know, they're taking off the shelves books about like Rosa Parks biography. Uh, this is the, this is the issue that Newsom is going after saying is, is this where we're at? Uh, the, the constant talking about transgender rights, which, you know, Newsom says is a, an effort to target a minority uh, group uh, and, and basically make political hay out of them. Um, uh, I, I think there is a question about whether DeSantis is maybe playing his hand too much or will be playing his hand too much because are these issues the issues, woke politics, that most Americans care about? It still is about the economy, stupid. Um, and that's where he, uh, you know, Newsom's point is the Democrats have got to lean in. Um, and I think we are going to watch um, Democrats take on DeSantis and take on some of the Nikki Haley, who just got in today uh, officially. Um, we're, we're starting to see the field coalescing. We're start, it's starting to happen now. And we're starting to see how Biden is reacting to that. And, that, that and, and after the State of the Union, I think a lot of Democrats were kind of applauding and watching this feisty guy who, you know, every night Fox News is painting Joe Biden is, you know, barely able to put two sentences together. And he did deliver for many Democrats uh, at, at State of the Union. So, you know, and, and stuck to economic issues. That's where uh, a lot of Democrats want to see, want to see him, you know, put the focus. Let's stay on the State of the Union. What, what did you think of it? He's the president got High marks, and part of it, I think, was there was a lot of low expectation because a lot of people were yeah, kind of thinking, exactly. the guy's 300 years old, he's, he's not yeah. going to get through it. <laughs> but um, he not only has gotten high marks, he seemed to be enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily think of the words brilliant and Biden together. Uh, you know, but, but the fact is, he was very good. He really was good. You know, he was 
feisty. He was energetic. He was he was with it. And, and, but the best part of the Biden talk was something that none of us, at least I didn't expect. And that's when the Republicans booed him when he said Republicans are against getting rid of Social Security, for getting rid of Social Security and Medicare. They booed him. He said, oh, I see you're with me. Okay. It's unanimous. Oh, my God, that was a brilliant move. That was a brilliant, and I don't think that was scripted. I think that was just being adroit. That was Biden with 40, 50 years in the public sphere figuring out moving deftly. Um, Joe Biden is a guy who is constantly um, underestimated. Constantly. His whole career he's been this way. He's a guy who people just absolutely... You know, say enough of them. He's not going to be around anymore. And here he is. He is resurrected again. And, and, and I believe that he is going to wind up being fertile. Now, you've got this thing about 82 and 86 and ages that, you know, most of us don't like to think about. That could be a problem, depending upon who's there. But don't forget, he can use that to his advantage. Never, never forget what, what Reagan said to Mondale, Right? You guys know this. I'm not going to let your age be a reason that I go ahead and, and, and pick on you, right? It was brilliant. It was brilliant. And I just think that Joe Biden can't be run out as quickly as a lot of people are ready to do it. And, and, and more than that, I think when it comes to the general election, he could very well do much better under young, with younger people in that very, very subtle way of saying, you ain't there yet, kid, without sounding paternalistic. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I thought it was fa- uh, fascinating right after the State of the Union that Nancy Pelosi on CNN said, um, you know, listen, there's a lesson to be learned here from Jerry Brown. Remember Jerry Brown, when he ran first time for governor, said, hey, it's time for a new generation of leadership. And by the time he ran, you know, decades later, it was, there's no substitute for experience. So... <laughs> So that's going to be Joe Biden's, you know, line. I agree with you, Larry. I think that this is where it's at. But what the fascinating thing to me is where the polls are at with Joe Biden, considering, you know, a successful legislative record, bipartisan le- legislative record uh, in the first couple of years, uh, where the economy is going. It is going gangbusters right now. Yes, a lot of Americans are suffering and inflation is a problem, but unemployment rate. Uh, you know, down at historic levels, right? And some really important legislation passed, infrastructure, you know, getting that insulin costs uh, under control, et cetera. Even with all that, um, right now, the latest polls showed 62% of Americans feel he has done not very much or little or nothing. Um, Only 42% approve of his presidency, although that's sort of where Trump was at at the same time. But the fact is, 58% of Democrats don't want him to run again. So how do you explain this? You know, I think that's, that's fascinating. Those are fascinating numbers. Larry? I would add two words to don't want to run again. Right now. <laughs> right now. Let it play out. Let it play out. I think he's going to wind up being a whole lot more formidable than most of us give him credit for. And depending upon who the Republican is who approaches him, he's wily. And, and, and his greatest strength is that so many of us don't appreciate his greatest strength. That and uh, so someone in the audience was writing about 
calling it, it's disgraceful the way some of the Republicans have been treating and talking about President Biden. And I think a lot of people had that reaction watching the State of the Union, where there was kind of this oh, terrible, like a junior high school terrible thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that can I think pretty easily rebound because people tend to like Joe Biden, even if they're disagreeing. I mean, he he's he does come across as okay, look, this is what I'm doing, this is what I believe, and you know me, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that could help him, the mm-hmm. fact that... But, folks, but, folks, it's not hyperbole. I mean, you know, he, he yeah. comes out there with all these sayings that are so folksy, and it, it resonates with people. Yeah. How many does. times did he say folks? You're absolutely right. No. But he's also helped by, you know, some of the... the, the crazier Republicans, let's be honest. Marjorie Taylor Greene out there, you know, screaming liar at him. Uh, that, that, that helped Joe Biden. Uh, it provides a contrast. A lot of Republicans cringe when they see that. Yeah. So let's, let's get in, since we're on the, the presidential race in, in 2024. Um, we talked about Nikki Haley, and some people are saying, well, she, her real run and the way she's She's been critical of Trump in the past, but she's also kind of soft peddling it now is that she's playing for a vice president slot. Yeah, I think Nikki Haley um, wants to have it both ways. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is somebody who a year ago said, um, I have to tell you, Donald Trump is everything I taught my children not to do in kindergarten. Um, And yet, like last week, it was. I don't want us to go back to the days before Trump. And so, you know, what, what, which is it? She's, uh, she's embracing the, the, uh, the former president now, but she was critical of him after January 6th. Um, she, you know, she's got, a, she's got a challenge in her party, you know, as a woman of color. Uh, who, wanting the seat. And let's, you know, when we're talking about a party where the white male vote, is really important. This, it's Nimrata Nikki Rwanda Haley. That's her. I mean, she's Indian American, and for a lot of Republicans, even that that is a bridge too far. And let's face it, she as look as governor, she had a great run as as UN ambassador. She had a great run, but she's got to convince a lot of the people in her own party, some of whom uh, are not open to a message from a woman of color. Speaking of a woman of color of at least partial Indian descent, <laughs> yes, who right. is a vice president. This could be very interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Larry Kamala Harris, will she, do you think there's any chance that she would be removed from the ticket in 2024? Well, well, first of all, I want to add a little bit about Nikki Haley. Um, for Republicans who are looking for somebody, she'll pass. She'll pass. She is, I think, extraordinarily bright. I think she's going for the marbles. And she'll take second place. But I think she's very serious about this. Governor twice, United Nations, took away the, con- the, the Confederate statues mm-hmm. in the capital of her state when she was governor. She has got wiggle room here where a lot of Republicans don't. I'm not saying she's going to get the nomination. Mm-hmm. But I think she's going to be a force with a lot more Republicans than people think. People who are upset with Trump, people who don't see, who see rather... Uh, a DeSantis as Trump, you know, reincarnated and and want somebody fresh who's still conservative, still conservative. And we can get away with this now being Republicans. We can say, look, we did have one of those other pet types, you know, and aren't we proud? I don't rule her out. 
I'm, I mean, I'm interested, though, to see how Trump treats her as this goes forward. If Right now, she's only 1% in the polls, so she's no danger to him. But um, if she gets to a level where she's really getting noticed and she may have to end up on a debate stage with him, we know how, how vicious, how aggressive he can be to his opponents. Yeah, but what worked then is not going to work now. Because how many people after the fact have talked about how rude Trump was, how he picked on someone. And I don't believe that that shtick is going to work a second time. First time, you catch people by surprise. Second time, you know it's coming. I'm not, going to say, I'm not saying she's going to win the nomination. I'm saying that she's going to be a force. And as far as Kamala Harris goes, this is a woman who's stuck, and it's not her fault. She's stuck. I mean, <clears throat> no vice president ever carries the weight of the presidency. Nobody does. They don't want it that way. The president wants to take all the credit. You do all the tough stuff. Okay, that's the division of labor. Uh, and, and, you know, she's just in a bad spot. And, and I think a lot of people are upset with her as, as, as to the extent that she's responsible that the Biden presidency is not succeeding. That just isn't the case. And, and I think she has another challenge in that... Um you know, a lot of Democrats, New York Times recently ran a story uh, about how a lot of Democrats are worried should something happen to Joe Biden. That's right. Uh, and that and, and they're worried that that will be a line of attack from the Republicans. The Republicans will use that saying, you know, the, the, and, 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 and she's the constant target uh, on Fox News. Uh, they make fun of her laugh and call it a cackle. And I think I think some of this is is most certainly because uh, she's a. She's a groundbreaker in that role. Uh, but, but those of us in California who have covered her also know she has weaknesses as a candidate. Some of it has been uh, an inability to just take a stand and go for it. Um, she's very, very cautious. Uh, she's made some real, you know, look, I covered a presidential race. I was there in Oakland the day she uh, mm -hmm. announced 25,000 people. Less than a year later, that whole thing had collapsed. And so you've got to wonder, um, you know, as a candidate and as a as a backup for Joe Biden, uh, I think there there are some Democrats who think she is a liability to him. But the, listen, she still she has um, uh, there's been low expectations for Kamala Harris uh, all through her career. She has always exceeded uh, the expectations. She surprised a lot of people. So. Uh, We'll see what happens here. And do you think for a second he's going to dump her? No, 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 no way. Absolutely, Absolutely not. not, no. Do you think he could go with his other vice president, uh, George Santos? Because there's <laughs> talk he's going to go right for the top. Santos no doubt has relatives that were at the Delaware River when Washington crossed. <laughs> uh, and we know all this about him. He's phenomenal. <laughs> Um, other Republicans, uh, a name I don't hear much talk about in, in terms of the presidency, but one who seems to have gotten a lot of respect, at least among analysts, is Brian Kemp, Georgia's can uh, governor, uh, very conservative governor, but won re-election handily in a, I guess we're calling it a purple state now. Um, people talk about him. People talk about um, uh, Yunkin. Um, uh, people, uh, you know, Larry Hogan. Uh, and did Larry uh, Hogan take himself out of the running? 
He took, I think he did take, did he take himself out of the running, Larry Hogan? I haven't heard that. Okay. Um, I might be spreading lies then. But I think more of the names that you, you are hearing and, are, and people who are still out Mike there. Pompeo. Mike, Mike Pompeo. Mike Pompeo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> A fan, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pence. Mike Pence. Pence. Uh, All the mics. What would be his lane? I mean. What would be his lane? It's, it's a, A bowling. No, no. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you you do have you do have people kind of starting to line up, and I think they they have to really be careful and walk the line when with Trump is when Trump is out there on Truth Social, just <laughs> just attacking. Oh, he's, he's also on Twitter and Facebook again now. So yes, yeah, so, and on Twitter and Facebook again, he's, and he's, and I think that that's going to be an interesting thing to to see how it plays out too, because Twitter now is a different place with Elon Musk uh, mm. at the head. Uh, uh, and Ted Cruz, by the way, uh, said on Twitter yesterday that he spent uh, you know half hour talking to Elon Musk and talking strategy. So uh, you know, what could go wrong? <laughs> and people are thinking Ted Cruz is also really? um, you know positioning himself. There, there's a lot of different ways that this this could go. Who's um, positioning himself besides Ted Cruz? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I don't think Mrs. Cruz is on that one. I mean. Uh, but he, but he but he views himself that way. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, and I think this is where the as, as Newsom points out, um, the Democrats have to hone their message. And I think you know, I, I saw recently Al Franken, and he said Look, the problem with the Democrats is they they can't they don't get the message down. They don't hone the message, and it's like uh, our our message is like continued on another bumper sticker they can't get it down to one bumper sticker and that is where that is where trump has had had a strength you know make make america great again um what is the democrats message and and newsom has sort of honed in on this and said look um enough with being distracted on all these other ways democrats have got to uh be able to appeal to those voters out there that are wor- that are still worried, and there are millions of Americans worried about inflation, about you know uh, rent, paying the rent, etc. Um, and, and and they're not addressing those issues. And he said um, the Republicans are running the table right now. Democrats tend to be reactive and apologetic. Geez, we meant to do better. We're trying, but please, you know. <laughs> but I do think, to Biden's credit. You know, with the legislation that they passed this past year, this is building jobs back in the Midwest and Ohio and Michigan and all those places. I mean, you know, he's showing people, you know, their their factories coming back, uh, production, uh, assembly. Uh, and uh, the question is, how much of this will really resonate? It's been done. It's going to be done. The stuff hasn't even taken effect yet. The next two or three years with all this construction and whatnot happens, you know, the, uh, all of it. And, and so we'll just have to see. But, you know, th- th- there's stories to be played out here. And uh, it's so early. It just is. And, and I, I think it's entirely impo- possible that Trump and DeSantis will, will, will explode together uh, if Republicans decide that they need to move toward the center. And that's the question. How many times do you need to be shellacked? You got it in 2018. You got it in 2020. You got it in 2020. You need to be hit again. You ready for more punishment? Well, but Larry, I mean, you're watching. You're watching the Republicans. 
you know, holding committee meetings about Hunter Biden. I know. And, it, and it had, we're not finished with that yet. They're still they're, after Hillary and Benghazi, <laughs> you know. Well, and in 2024, there's odds on chance, isn't that, that they'll recapture the Senate. They might lose the House, but they, they're expected. Yeah. They, they have to defend a lot more yeah. vulnerable seats than the Republicans mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's going to hamstring, presumably, a Biden, too. Administration. Yeah, no. There's there's some serious issues, but I think Biden is getting some help from the Republicans, like Jim Jordan, uh, who, a godsend. <laughs> who is a godsend, who was criticizing Biden today, you know, with this uh, huge train derailment in Ohio, which is a super serious issue, um, saying, well, uh, thank you, Joe Biden, for your infrastructure. Uh, you know, excuse me, the infrastructure um, bill was just recently passed and. As as Biden said in his State of the Union, uh, I'll be there at all those op- openings, uh, you know, and and you all will be, meet me there. Uh, the Republicans will show up when those bridges and roads and so forth are open. Um, and meanwhile, uh, Jim Jordan is still looking into Hunter Biden. That yeah, isn't he kind of infamous for not noticing things going around, going on around him that he yes, should exactly. have paid attention to. Yeah. Well, let's uh, stick on. National politics, I, I want to get into uh, the House of Representatives and the president and, you know, Kevin McCarthy and President Biden. I think especially after that kind of raucous vote that we talked about our last week to week for this House speaker, uh, people were expecting a real slugfest between the two. Um, but they've had some talks already on the debt ceiling. Carla, have, what yeah. is I mean, what you, you got you got a July um, deadline on raising the debt ceiling and uh, obviously Republicans want cuts uh, in in the budget, and the Democrats say, "Well, what's And Joe Biden has said, "Well, what's your plan? Where do you want to cut?" Uh, and of course, Biden has brought up the plan to social Social Security, uh, Medicare, and uh, the Republicans uh, are saying, "But well, wait a minute, we've never said that." But you know, of course, the Rescue America plan, Rick Scott, uh, who of course McConnell has said that's. This isn't a Republican plan, but the fact is it's out there. And people like DeSantis have said, have, have talked about uh, issues like pulling up uh, Social Security by the roots and other, other Republicans have talked about this. And Ron so Johnson the, has come yeah, up. Yeah, the Republicans are vulnerable on this front. Uh, I think Paul Krugman wrote today that this has been an issue for Republicans for decades. They have talked about changing Social Security and Medicare. And this is a third rail. Uh, for so many Americans, it would affect millions of Americans. So Biden on this front has them sort of on the run at this point. Um, but McCarthy, uh, we we hear, has been meeting with the five families of the Republican Party right now. That's that's what they're calling it in kind of a godfather um, uh, terminology. But the fact is there's sort of five different factions. That's how yeah. sort of scattered they are. Uh, five different, uh, you know, levels of all, of all kinds of, uh, political views. And, uh, McCarthy has to deal with them with a, with this small majority that he's got. Uh, once again, he's going to have to bow and scrape, um, to get people to agree to anything. So right now, Biden is saying to them, um, show me what you got. I'm going to show you my plan in the beginning of March and show you exactly what we're going to, uh, spend. And I need to know what what you want to cut. And right now, we haven't heard really specifics. Yeah, uh, uh, more than half of the of the uh, budget, the, the domestic part of the budget, goes to Medicare, uh, Medicare Social Security, and uh, 
and other uh, programs that uh, sustain people, food stamps and whatnot. If you leave all those, you don't have a whole lot left. You just don't. And, uh, and so they're going to have to, they, the Republicans, are going to have to bite it and say, well, it's not that we want to get rid of Social Security. We just want to fix it. Okay. You know, fix it means, obviously, in code, do something to diminish it. But they're like, no, we want to come up with a way of, uh, of tightening the requirements, of making sure that people who really get it deserve it, things like that. At the end of the day, uh, uh, my sense is, it's a sense, that uh, there'll be some sort of deal where there will not be any cuts. I don't care what they are. They won't, they won't be cut into cafeterias, nothing. Uh, and, uh, and, and that there'll be a committee. Committees are great. A committee to study what kinds of future cuts we could make, headed by, you know, Jim Jordan or somebody else, you know, and it really won't matter. I think that's the way they're going to probably get out of it, you know, because, it, because Carla's right. They're so scattered. They're the best thing that Biden's got going because they cannot agree on any bill to go through. Any bill. The only one they did is to, to go ahead and chew out China for the balloon. You know, but that's about it. I mean, they, they cannot get the 218 votes they need. They just can't. What did you think of uh, when President Biden went to uh, Kentucky with Mitch McConnell? And, uh, yeah, and, and, and Mitch McConnell has been very, I think, obvious about having disdain for the House GOP and at least how they're, right. they're behaving. Um, that's an interesting mix because... Disdain for Rick Scott also. Yeah, that was a slap like, at Scott, yes. at McCarthy, and Trump. It was a threefer. McConnell will take that any day. Okay, <laughs> yes. It was wonderful for him. Yes, yes. But, you know, I, I find it interesting because um, I just got back from France where my husband has relatives, and I was there when you, know, you had two... 2.8 million people in the streets protesting because the retirement age there, mm -hmm. they're proposing raising it to 64. And I had to like, you know, talk to these people and say, do you understand we have, I, in my country, we have people at Walmart working as greeters when they're like 80 years old. I mean, uh, the, I think I'm, I'm kind of uh, interested in the fact that we haven't seen the kind of protests here. That's it, my side job. Please don't disparage <laughs> that. We haven't seen the kind of protests here, even though this would affect millions of people. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, will a lot of these base Republican voters uh, stick with the party if the party is going to fundamentally change something that is, that is you know. Not if, they, not if they see it. But there's so many ways to wrap something like that. There really are. And if, and if uh, guys like Scott and others can wrap in such a way what doesn't appear, and nobody now is going to have their Social Security taken away. Nobody now, okay? There's so many ways to, 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 to package this. Yes. And, and, and it, it may, look, it, 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 it may work. And a lot of it gets to turn out at the end of the yes. day. You know, we know how, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine the way that this country's divided these days by race and whatnot, but it's the truth. We know that most whites are with the Republican Party. And to the extent that Democrats can get the minorities who tend not to vote as much as the whites to shore up their support, that's going to tell you a whole lot. So this, there's so much to, that, 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 that's at stake here that we just don't know yet. You know? But they're going to try to wrap it. They will. Yeah.
And I, and I, I think I tend to think that in the end, look, Republicans are not going to want to um, be part of the first ever debt default. <laughs> that you know, they're just. I think something's going to happen. But McCarthy has to corral the cats, and that's this is going to be interesting to watch. Or he may be, he may make it if he's smart. All right, I know I'm going some, but if, but if he's smart, McCarthy may say, okay, we're making this a free vote. Okay, vote your conscience, and the Democrats will carry it. That that may be the way. one of the places where you may see Republicans try to push uh, Biden is on Ukraine funding, mm -hmm. um, because this is where you're seeing a split. Um, and you're even seeing it in the polls. The, the latest uh, NBC News poll showed Americans evenly split. 49% uh, say Congress should provide more funding. Equal amount um, say Congress should not. Um, so I think that may be some place where they try. I don't think they're going to get um, anywhere with Biden on that one. And I think, um, you know, this is this is an area where McCarthy uh, is also going to have to wrestle. You've got those, some of these vocal Republicans, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, et cetera, um, who are trying to make hay on that issue. Uh, from the national and I guess even international, let's go to the local. Uh, Mayor London Breed recently gave her State of the City address. Um, I wanted to talk about some of what she's been dealing with and, and the focus of Crime, homelessness, affordability, um, and of course downtown, which is home and, and, to and many. Wow, does she have a? I mean, like a, a, a horrible and amazing um, challenge here in San Francisco. This is a city that's gotten so much attention recently. New York Times talking about how this is the downtown that has um, just failed to come back. The least recovered of any major city. Yeah, yes. the least by far. Yeah, and and this is a concern. I mean, it's true. Those you all can see it here every day when we're here. Um, and I think um, you know the homelessness issue, the the cost of housing. The fact is, we were talking about this, John. That uh, you know, in Oakland, when Jerry Brown was mayor, I remember him saying, "Look, we've got to get ten thousand new people living in the downtown. That's the only way this downtown is going to come back." And it seems to me. That has got to be the answer in San Francisco. You've got to have people living here. You can't, the, the problem is, as everyone knows, uh, a lot was given to tech, a lot of breaks were given to tech, Twitter, et cetera. Uh, and those businesses are not coming back here. Their workers are not coming back here. Uh, so London Breed has said this week, she's going to have to make some uncomfortable moves, moves that are going to make people uncomfortable. And that means maybe low-income housing and people where people don't want it, or housing for homeless uh, uh, and, and unhoused people in neighborhoods where people don't want it. Uh, she is going to take heat. Uh, and she's also talked about giving tax breaks to businesses and ramping up the process of getting these businesses, um, you know, going and housing going so that it doesn't take years to get the permits and it doesn't take millions of dollars to get the permits. I think she has got a big job on her hands. She's got a problem that's beyond her doing. I mean, the pandemic shook out things in San Francisco that just didn't shake out other places. Um, we talk about people needing to live here. Sure, they got to work here. And that's the problem. Nobody's coming here to work. A lot of it's the culture. It's the tech culture. You know, you work from home. You work from Sweden. You work from wherever. You know, 
But, the, but, but when you're not at, at the office, you're not only not at the office, you're not at the bank, you're not at the restaurant, you're not taking rapid transit, mass transit into where you need to go. You're not doing all those infrastructure support elements that are critical to making a city go. Those aren't her things. I mean, she didn't do any of this. But, but the idea, I, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated at the idea of giving tax breaks to companies that don't have people coming here anyway. And I, I, I don't quite understand that in terms of making up for for uh, a, a budget that, that, that's underdeveloped, tax revenues underdeveloped, because to me, those things only leave you with greater tax losses. The idea that you're going to give tax breaks and that you're going to generate more business from the tax breaks, I've done this math many times. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So her problems go beyond what she said so far. And I don't know how she gets out of it. I really don't. Um, you know, what are you going to do? Cut back all the transportation that the city provides? You're going you're gonna, to, I don't know. Uh, but, but I mean, housing alone is not going to do it. And that's costly. Mm-hmm. That's very costly. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the issues that has been brought up is you're, you've now got so many empty office oh. uh, buildings. Look at the Salesforce Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you can, how, you're talking you, about converting. Converting these is yeah. just extremely expensive. Remember that a lot of these buildings, uh, like the flood building and so forth, were converted into large you know, tech spaces, the kind of offices that nobody liked to work in, by the way. <laughs> and now... Um, you know, and, and small business people were thrown out of those, uh, you know, it, to make room for right. all these tech guys who are now no longer there. How do you convert these? Uh, you know, you putting in kitchens, bathrooms, etc., and all these spaces is just extremely expensive. But the other issue for San Francisco is the perception of crime. Remember that, you know, these videos of people, you know, going into Walgreens and filling up, uh, you know, the, the, Cash and grab robberies. These 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 videos of San Francisco have have just really damaged. I think the uh, the image of the city Revitation. in a big way. And I know from being overseas, a lot of people now see that as being the image of San Francisco. They don't want to come here anymore. And uh, we were talking about this before the the. Uh, so, John, I thought it was interesting that Hillary Ronan, supervisor, um, just tonight uh, on Twitter uh, put up a proposal suggesting that, that San Francisco should uh, really try and study legalization of prostitution. Yes. Um, that, saying that the whole Cap Street corridor now has just become, uh, you know, a stroll, essentially, that is just out of control. And that San Francisco, her her tweet tonight suggested that San Francisco should work with Oakland and uh, look at sort of a long term way uh, to to protect sex workers, um, but also to deal with this crime problem. And she makes it very clear, by the way, in this post, saying, "I'm not proposing a red light district or a brothel or anything like that, but but it's time to look at this issue." I I don't know how that would play out. I, you know, I, that would, first of all, wouldn't that be a first in the United States, a, a city that legalizes prostitution? But what a way to balance the budget. <laughs> I, I Are you going to bring all these people to, to the city now? I can see it right now. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I don't think so. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I think, I, 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 but it goes to the whole issue of the, it, you know, it's crime, yes. Um, but the crime issue is part of a bigger issue yeah. in and that is the guns. 
I mean, I'm sorry. That That's part of it, too. With all due respect, I mean, the idea of decriminalizing prostitution is an interesting one, and lots of uh, places in other countries have done it, and there are good reasons for it. I understand the reasons against it. But the, but the problems here, that's a symbolic thing to me. The, the, the substantive issues are so great. And... Um, <clears throat> Uh, it, this is how do you get a city basically to shrink its footprint? That's what we're talking about, shrinking the footprint. And cities aren't used to shrinking it. They're used to expanding it. This is a, this is a serious problem, and demographers and experts on this are going to be working at this a long time to try to find a way to have the city <clears throat> and its needs fit in with all the expansive stuff that's no longer needed. Mm-hmm. This is a tough one. But I, th- I still think that you know, the, the, the only answer has to be residents here. We talked about you know, Chicago, New York. I remember, cities- yeah, I remember in the 1990s when I lived in Chicago, reading something about how the city was expecting over the next decade, you know, another two or 300,000 people would be living downtown, which meant, of course, there already were hundreds of thousands of people living downtown. Well, what that meant was you had a permanent downtown going yes. you had a 24-hour right. downtown right. um so to get that you need lots and lots and lots of people right. um and uh in a city that blows its gasket every time someone tries to build a, a you know one-story building um to be told yeah there are going to be a whole bunch more both converted and new residential buildings downtown um yes yes and i think that's what london breed was warning about this week saying yes people are going to have to be uncomfortable the kind of number she's talking about i think i read eighty thousand. Oh, we have to do eighty-two thousand more yes uh, that's a state requirement right right and i will be interested to see if that is met yes that's a that's a ton and again this is a very difficult city it would be a difficult city even without the the built-in opposition to housing but you know, just just because of the the landscape, the it's a dense city, et cetera. But uh, but but you know, we we should contrast it too with what uh, Karen Bass is doing in Los Angeles because she's she basically announced this week. Look, we're going to look at all sur- surplus properties, unused properties. We're going to in, in the city. We're going to um, uh, categorize those, and, and over the next three weeks. She said, we're going to identify which ones can be used to for housing homeless people. Of course, they have a, a much more massive problem on homelessness. But I still think the homeless issue is, is sort of a defining issue in California cities. And it's one, I, like, I live in Oakland. It's a huge problem there still, Sacramento still. And this is an issue Republicans have effectively used, I think. It, it is something that... Uh, People care about it has it, and and nothing. It, it looks different. I think there, they, there's been no dramatic difference in the in the reduction of, of people on the street. They care about it, Carla, until they have to pay for it, and they don't care anymore. This is an issue. You're absolutely right. This is a state issue more than anything else. It needs to be top down. It needs to have billions and billions of dollars put in. It includes not only the infrastructure itself, it includes all the social amenities, all the, all the uh, economic elements to it, all the transportation and, and, and work training elements. It is massive, and we have never in this state, and I'm talking top-down, including the governor, talk is cheap. We have never taken it on with any substantive ability 
Because at the end of the day, people can say, what? You want to spend $30 billion on this problem? Even though if you spend the money, you're going to get it back and then some. Well, it's interesting. I, you know, Gavin Newsom points out uh, in this interview that the first money given to home uh, uh, to address this homeless issue was Jerry Brown, $500,000. Today, it's $15 billion. That's how much... That's a relatively short period that this has become such a massive issue. And that is London Breed's number one problem. Uh, Whether she can deal with it is going to be something to watch. She needs the state. I'm sorry. She can't do it herself. No no question about it. The state has to develop a comprehensive policy, which under Newsom, talk is cheap. It's never been done. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. We've come to the end of our program. We'll be right back here in a month on March 14th for our next Week to Week. In the meantime, I want to thank our excellent panelists for tonight, Carla Marinucci, Dr. Larry Gerstin, for a great conversation. And thanks to all of you for being here in person and watching and listening online. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.